thank God. His grace has always been, it's always good. So as believers, depend and we rest in God's um Earlier today, I sent you, I put a message uh, reminding us of, again, the message. At the beginning of the year, I sent out a message to everyone uh, detailing what our focus is going to be for the year. As we know, 2020 is our year. We, we've dubbed it Christ Conscious. Our goal and pursuit is the knowledge of our Lord for deeper. When we say Christ Consciousness, what, what we mean is being aware of who he is and who we are in him and holding him as our treasured possession above all. Amen and amen. So I I found it um, very important that at the midway of the year, we would revisit uh, the foundation of our pursuit for this and, you know, renew our resolve in our pursuit of the for a deeper, a deeper fellowship. So as I shared with you, I, I, I trust that we have all taken time to read it. It's on the WhatsApp page, the message, it's a link that will lead you to our We're just going to read, read it and walk us. And then through that, you know, I'm going to share with you the, mercy, the message for today. Amen and amen. So if you follow it, if you go to the website, the very first page of the website. So oh, what, what is here is this. Welcome to the new year, brethren. The truth of God's word concerning the kingdom remains. That is of the increase of his government and peace. There shall be no end. Isaiah chapter number 9, verse 7. And um, I trust that all of us who went through those five days of eschatology conference we had, I think it was somewhere in March or April, we should understand this scripture by now. Hallelujah. In Isaiah chapter number 9, verse uh, reading from 6 downs, the Bible says, uh, concerning Jesus in prophecy that unto us a child is born, unto us the son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. The rulership, the authority shall be upon, that means he shall bear rule. Hallelujah. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Then in verse 7, it says, of the increase of government and peace, there shall be no end. The rulership of Christ it's not as the kingdoms of God, as we have said. We, we saw that in-depthly during the eschatology conference. And all the messages from that conference is on the website. You can access Amen and Amen. would really encourage us all to time to time revisit so that we can remind ourselves of the truth that we hold dear in our faith. Hallelujah. The government of God or the government of which Christ bears rule is really the rulership of God in the hearts of men. Hallelujah. And that rulership has brought what we call the peace of God. That is, we are set at one with God again. The Bible is saying that of the increase of there shall be no end. Ever since Jesus was enthroned, Lord, hallelujah, sat down at the right hand of the Father and received dominion and authority and all power, his influence, in the world is increasing year after year ever since. Hallelujah. This was primarily made possible by his resurrection from the grave. That is the fundamental event or the primary event that made all this possible. We refer that we say Christ continues to reign in supreme authority. There is absolutely nothing in the heavens, on the earth, or even underneath the earth, that can challenge the authority of Christ. 
Amen and amen. He continues to reign in supreme authority. And the wonderful truth is that we with him. The Bible says, but they that and the free gift of righteousness shall reign in this life by one Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. We are ruling and reigning with Christ because when he was raised from the dead, we were raised together with him. And when he was exalted in glory, made to sit at the right hand of the Father, that's the place of authority, we sat together with him and in him. Hallelujah. So we have said that the beautiful truth, the victory of Christ and his rulership in supreme authority also reveals where we are because we are joined inseparably to Christ. The Bible says that he that is Christ is one spirit with him. We are joined inseparably with Christ. Wherever Christ is, there we are. Wherever we are, there Christ is. Hallelujah. Amen and amen. He dwells in our hearts by faith. So if we truly understand even this truth, some of our prayers will change. They will not come to you. You don't go to church and pray and ask God's presence to come down. Hallelujah. Or you'll not be saying, Father, I pray that you go with me on this journey. Where else is he going to be? You are the literal carrier of Hallelujah. You carry Christ in you. Christ carries you in him. This is the great beauty that we are in him and he is in us. This consciousness, this Christ consciousness must be with us every day. And in all things that we do, we bring the presence of God wherever we go. Hallelujah. Amen. When this truth is properly understood, it even affects, as I mentioned, your prayer life. It informs, it makes you pray with knowledge. Hallelujah. The number one issue I find with many believers is obviously, as we have said several times, the lack of knowledge. Knowledge of what? Knowledge of the revealed truth of what God has done in Christ in the scriptures. See, there's something that is very common in our generation, and it's not unique to our generation because, you know, we live now, we refer mostly to our generation. It's been like that even ever since. But even more so in our generation, people don't really pay attention. The way they handle the scriptures, they approach it with a very lackadaisical attitude. And because of that, their knowledge of God is based on hearsay. Their faith experience is not based on the sure foundation of God's revealed truth in his word. Rather, it is based on rumors what somebody has said, uh, what they have heard from here, what they have heard from there, they piece them together and with their life experience, they begin to draw conclusions which become their convictions. These convictions sometimes become so strong that even in the face of the revealed truth of God's word, they find it difficult to believe because they've had, they have those convictions, which, you know, our religious convictions, they are formed based on their own experience, the experiences other people have had, snippets of things they have heard from here. They heard this from this man of God here. They heard that from that man of God there. They heard this brother say this. They read a little bit here, you know, and then they just mash them all together, almost like a smoothie. Hallelujah. Listen, brethren, 
if we do that, we will never come to the accurate knowledge of all we are doing is we are maturing ourselves in ignorance. We are becoming experts in ignorance. Hallelujah. The only way we can save ourselves from that error is to be meticulous. Hallelujah. Intentional and intense in our study of the scripture. Approaching the scriptures with some kind of, not, not some kind of, but rather approaching the scriptures with all reverence and taking the time to study. Hallelujah. So that we can actually come to the true knowledge of God so that we can know him and walk with him. Concerning what we have been talking about, concerning how Christ continues to reign in, reign in supreme authority, this simple truth, if properly even understood, will save many believers from asking certain even unnecessary questions. Hallelujah. If people really understood what God had done in Christ for us, and had really understood the nature of God as revealed in the person of Christ. There are certain questions they would not ask. When we see certain things happen in the world, we would not be thinking, was it God who did it, or was it not God who did it? Hallelujah. You know, sometimes people ask questions, and immediately you can tell that, for example, you're in a class, and somebody who has missed class the entire year, or has not been, you know, very serious with his classes. Sometimes when they sit there and they ask a question, you can tell that this person was not in class. It is because they've not paid attention to what is being taught. And we can't have that kind of attitude. Imagine, for some of you on the line, you are doctors. Some of you, you've achieved PhDs, uh, masters, bachelors. When you are going to school and your classes, you're going to classes, if your professors came and all they did was summarize the notes for you and did not really teach you, do you think you would really get where you are now? Or if you yourself... You had a very lackadaisical approach to your studies. Do you think you would have gotten to where you are now? Hallelujah. You know, sometimes even regarding medicine, let's use medicine. We, we are all some type of experts when it comes to, but we've not really gone to medical school. You know, somebody will get sick. And I heard, you know, when you give this, when you give that, it can really help with this. Or, you know, you know, I read somewhere that, you know, this thing is very good for this, this, this thing is very good for that. But we are not properly even trained in that field. Our knowledge, medical knowledge, is based on hearsay and rumors and snippets of things we have read here and there. And in our consciousness, we think we are some experts in the field. Hallelujah. But when you actually congregate with medical professionals, people who have gone through the 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 the, the the school and and have been properly trained in those fields seven years of training five years of training when you, when you congregate to them you realize how insufficient grossly insufficient your knowledge is hallelujah and sometimes that's how christians when you see the way they respond and the kinds of answers they give and even sometimes the kinds of questions they give it reveals that that they have not really studied they've not really They've not really been with the scriptures. Hallelujah. You know, that attitude leads to ignorance. Hallelujah. It leads to ignorance. Even though in your own you be thinking, you know so that it leads to ignorance. And sadly, even sometimes that's what pastors do. They don't take time to study. So the things they teach, they pick this from here, pick that from here. You know, this month is our month of blossoming. January is our month of blossoming. So you go into the scriptures. You skim the entire scriptures to find scriptures that talk about blossom. Then you bring them to come and talk about them. 
This month you are blossoming. You are cedar in Lebanon. Then the next month is our month of daring to do new things. Hallelujah. Then, you know, find scriptures that have to do with daring. Then you come and teach that. Next month, all the way down to September. When you get to September, October, November, September, October is to remember. <laughs> You're moving into a new dimension. Go and find scriptures that have to do with that. You are an eagle in this month. Or you are Daniel. You are Joseph in this month. You, 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 with that kind of attitude and approach to scripture, you will never have the accurate knowledge of God in the word. Because you are just seeing things left and right and just finding things that will make you feel happy. But that is not the essence of the scripture. The believer is a student of the word of God. Hallelujah. A student of and must be properly trained. And that is why as a pastor, I don't joke with this privilege that is given unto me to train you in the word of God. And for yourself personally as a believer, you should have that same approach to the word of God. That is that reverential, meticulous approach to the word of God in your own personal study. Don't be here and there finding that says some nice things to me. You are Daniel, you are Joseph, you are this, you are all those kinds of things. Don't do that. You will simply become an expert in ignorance. Hallelujah. Study the word. Amen and amen. That is how come you will grow in the truth of God's word so that there are certain things, certain questions you will not be asking. When things happen in life, you know, you, 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 you will not be there thinking, it's God, maybe it is not God. You will not be in the dark concerning the will of God for you as a believer. You will not grow upon it, but you would know truly where God is in every situation that you face. You will not place God where he is not. Hallelujah. Amen and amen. And if it is our year of being Christ conscious, that is being aware of who, who we are in him and holding him as our treasured possession above all, this is how we are going to get there. Amen and amen. This is how we are going to get there. By being careful, by being meticulous, by being intentional in our study of the world. As we're talking about how Christ reigns supreme in all authority, and we said what made that possible was the resurrection. The matters even concerning the resurrection, most people have not come to. If we did, we would recognize that the greatest demonstration of God's power in the world was in the resurrection. The greatest demonstration of God's power in the world was in the resurrection. Hallelujah. Because in there, the greatest enemy of God was defeated. Amen and amen. What is the greatest enemy of God? Death. Because the Jews did not know that. They thought the enemy of God was the Roman Empire or, you know, the Herods at that time. And they were seeking that Jesus would be a person who would dethrone them. They had read the scriptures, but they had not read the scriptures properly. So because of that, eyes had they, but they could see not. Ears had they, but they could hear not. Hallelujah. They did not actually see. They were looking for things that would satisfy their own ends. They were seeking Jesus to be a political leader who would dethrone the, the Romans at that time. But they did not know that the real enemy of God was death. Sin and death. Sin as a result of death. Hallelujah. So when Jesus rose from the grave, the Bible says he destroyed him who had the power of death. The Bible says, oh death, where is your Oh grave, where is your power? Hallelujah. And in the fullness of time, death will be brought under the feet. Amen and amen. As it is already destroyed. Amen and amen. Because God is life. And God is light. In him 
is no darkness at all. You see, as I was mentioning, that the greatest demonstration of God's power was in the resurrection. When this truth is properly discussed now, there are certain questions even regarding the eternal security of your salvation that you will not be. The power it took to bring you out of death and darkness into life and light. It would take a greater power than that to bring you out of life and light into death. That is why we emphatically say the believer can never lose his out. You see why it is. But if this is not a, if, if realities concerning the resurrection are not really understood properly from the script, the believer will always be hot. He will hear something from somewhere. Quoting scriptures. You hear somebody quoting scriptures and stone that to point to him that he's going to miss heaven. He can lose his salvation and all those kinds of things. And he'll become unsettled. And the only reason you become unsettled is because you know not what did Jesus say. He said to them, ye err. Ye err because ye know not the scriptures nor the power of God. There is God's power demonstrated in a resurrection. Hallelujah. Let me dive a little bit deeper in this. Ephesians 2, 5-6. The Bible says that even when we were dead in sins, had he quickened that. Quickened there is a, a very beautiful King James English. Old, old English. That simply means made alive. Hallelujah. Even when we were dead, it had quickened us together with Christ. By grace he has saved. And had raised us up together. And made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ. Do you see that? He quickened us together with Christ. So the truth that when Christ died, I died. The old man died. And when Christ was raised, I was raised together with him and made to sit together with him in heavenly places. Hallelujah. In Christ Jesus. That means I not only identify with Christ, I share in all things with him. His dominion authority he has received, I share in that. All this possible by the power of God, which was wrought in the resurrection. There's the foundation of our faith. If you understand this, you will not be begging God for forgiveness. <laughs> That's why I said, you see, the accurate knowledge of God's word will stop asking certain questions. And will stop you from behaving in, you know, um, in a very sanctimonious way. You know, people who are supposed to be holy, they, 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 they want to appear more holy. Hallelujah. Amen and amen. God knows you. It is he who has made you holy. It is he who has made you righteous. You can't be any more than that. Hallelujah. So sometimes we want to sort of, I don't know if we want to, um, we want to, you know, by our own doings, corner God or what we want. And it is all out of our sin mentality and our lack of understanding of the truth of God's word and what he has done. Amen and amen. Like somebody who say, so you mean, Pastor Sam, if somebody sins, he shouldn't ask for forgiveness of sin. Well, the Bible says in First John chapter 2, chapter 1, verse 9, um, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of all unrighteousness. If we say we have no sin, we make him a liar and the truth is not. You know what the Bible says? See, when people start asking some questions, you know that they have studied well. Amen. You see, there is no contradiction in God and there is no contradiction in Christ. That is why when you always pick scriptures out of context, you would end up becoming an ex in ignorance. Hallelujah. Because when you read further in the same First John, First John, right after that, First John 2, and it says, If any man says we have an ad with the Father, Jesus the righteous. And then in verse 12, in chapter 2, 
He says that little children, I write unto you because your sins are forgiving you for his name's sake. You know, your sins are forgiving you because you for forgiveness of sin. He says, Your sins are forgiving you for his name's sake. Is John contradicting himself? No. Because there is no contradiction in the truth of what Christ has done. What is John speaking about? The Bible says, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. In whom? In Christ we have. We have. It is a present, our reality, a possession. One of the riches of his glory, which we have in Christ, is redemption. And he explains what that redemption is. He says, the forgiveness of sins. It is your possession. Forgiveness of sins is your possession. You were forgiven not because of your tears you shed, but because of a shed blood for his name's sake. You understand that? There are believers who think their tears are more powerful than them. They won't say that, but in action and in their belief, that is what they demonstrate. They think by rolling on the floor and crying so hard, that is what moved God. God saw that and he was touched and moved. That you are so sorry for your sin. That is why he forgave you. No! A thousand times no! Hallelujah! You were forgiven because a man shed his blood. His name is Jesus. Hallelujah! The Bible says that, and without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. Do you know what remission is? Remission is not even, is a stronger word than forgiveness. It's not just a forgiving your sin. It is forgiving and wiping away the record. So that it cannot in any way be held. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. This is without the shedding of tears. That is why when the Bible says, come boldly to he knows what he's talking about. Because it is yours. You are eternally forgiven in Christ. That is how come you are eternally saved. And that is how come you cannot in any way lose your salvation. How was this made possible? By the resurrection of Christ from the grave. The greatest demonstration of God's power was in the rest. Amen and amen. You see, this is somebody who asked a question. These questions I said, as people are sometimes they are genuine questions. Sometimes to the questions that reveal their omnibus, their ignorance. Hallelujah. Sometimes, you know, they they just believe. Because you see, they've heard snippets from here, there, like I was saying, and they have become in ignorance. So they ask that question. One of the questions they were asking is, so you mean, Pastor Sam? When a Christian says, I don't believe in Jesus again, has he not lost his salvation? How can you lose that your salvation? Let me tell you, no believer in Christ, a saved man, can be unsaved, not possible. Believers who say that, or people, let me not say believers who say that, people who say that, I don't believe in Jesus again. One, it is because they are offended. Probably something happened in their life. They were praying about it, asking God to do something about it, and maybe because of their lack of understanding, they didn't know what to do in that situation. And things didn't go the way they wanted. So they blame God. That's another problem. We'll talk about that. They blame God for it. God, why did you do this? God, why did you do that? They get angry. They're angry at God. They're angry at Christ. Say, I don't believe in Jesus anymore. I'm not going to church anymore. He's simply offended. He's still a believer. Because being a believer and being saved is not because of what you have done. Or what you do, it is because of what Christ, hallelujah. And you cannot cross over. After the power of God has translated you from the kingdom of darkness and death into the kingdom of light and life, you can't cross over. Because God is committed to keeping you there. So it will take another power by somebody else 
to cross you over. And there is no power in the world that can overcome the power that brought you over, crossed you over to the kingdom of light and, and life. Hallelujah. Or they were not born again to begin with. You see, when we talk about being born again, we are not talking about a head ascent to what you have heard. That is the gospel. You know, okay, I heard the, I, I've heard them preaching the gospel, and you know, I think I think I want to believe or I believe. No, that's that's not that's not what being born again is. We are talking about a transformation. Do you know? Do you understand that? The Bible says that. But as many as we saw, people not born of flesh, but people born of God. You are literally born of God. Hallelujah. There's no going back. It's late for you. Amen. Somebody say it is too late for you. Hallelujah. Amen and amen. It is too late for you. There is no going back. Hallelujah. No going back. Absolutely no going back. Nothing. Oh, please forgive me. I don't want to miss heaven. Why will you be praying such a prayer? You know, let's pray for our sins of commission. We don't know whether we have sinned against God. Maybe we said something. We thought something. Let's ask God for forgiveness. Listen, all those are thoughts of men or people who have not really understood the scriptures as it pertains to what God has. As you walk with the Holy Ghost, obviously you can tell the Holy Ghost you are sorry. You can tell the Holy Ghost you are sorry for this or that. No, you don't beg God for forgiveness. And it is not because of your begging that you were for, you were forgiven. Before you were born again, Christ died some 2,000 years ago. He had you in mind. You were not there. Hallelujah. Your sins, past, present, future were forgiven when he did that because he died eternally. Hallelujah. Your sins were paid for eternally. You are forgiven eternally. Amen and amen. It's not when you begged, then God forgave you. No. You see, we are thinking in human terms. We, we, we try to impose our human experience upon the scriptures. So sometimes, you know, in, in, our, in our own experience, when somebody does something against us, unless the person comes to apologize, we are not going to forgive him. And we think for some reason that is how God is too. And that is our faith. So we, that's why we pray. We, we, we are like Job. And sometimes people even read the book of Job and they find cuts in Job. The, the, the kinds of things that Job said. You know, God gives and he takes away. May his name be praised. We, we, we find solace in that. When Job said to his wife, why are you talking foolishly? Shall we not receive good from God and also receive evil from God? We, we find solace in that. And we have that kind of fallen, mind, fallen man mindset concerning who God is. So we are attributing both evil and good to him. How sad. Amen and amen. But if you had understood from the scripture that God is, is light in him is no darkness and right in the beginning in genesis the bible says that after he had made, he separated the light from the darkness there must be a distinction for you to know that there are things that god does and things that god has absolutely nothing to do with that no evil can proceed from god he is light and all good hallelujah Tell me your Bibles on this matter. Let me uh, touch on it. James, again, James. I, I think it's James. James chapter number. Let's see. Look at this. James 1.13. James said, Let no man say when he is tempted of God. For God cannot. L listen to that. Listen to what Job, James is saying. God cannot be tempted with evil. Neither tempts he any man. That means God will never entice you unto evil. He cannot do it. Because there is no evil in him. He is light. There is no darkness in him. Hallelujah. He is altogether good. There is no... Then listen to what James says. But every man is tempted 
when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed, then when lust had conceived, it brings forth and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forward death. Do not err, my beloved brethren. You see it? In the entire process of sin and its manifestation, the conception of sin and its manifestation, God is absolutely no part of it. When you read verse 30, he tells you that God cannot be tempted, neither does he tempt it. You go to verse 4, he tells you the process of how sin is conceived and how it is manifested. You don't see God in there. So when you see men conceiving evil and manifesting evil in the world, you should not be thinking that God is in or God, you know, some, sometimes people think this way, that God is all sovereign, so he must permit it before it will happen. You've not understood the scripture. Hallelujah. You've not understood. We must be proper. And that is what Job lacked. That is why he was saying, shall we receive good from God and not evil from him? He gives and he takes away, may his name be. And people have even made a song about it. He gives and he takes away. So they have that mindset of God. That's not who God is. There must be a distinction between. Now let's read first. He says, do not err, my beloved. Where does erring come from? Jesus said, you do err because you know. Now, when he said that to the Pharisees, you would be thinking that the Pharisees had not read the scriptures. No, these were teachers of the law. They were experts in the law. So when Jesus said, you do err because you know not the scriptures, the kind of knowing of the scriptures he was talking about was traditional knowledge, not just reading the text of the scriptures. For example, they came to Jesus one time and Jesus said that, you know, Moses said that, you know, you can put away your, your wife when you give him a bill of divorce. They would do a quoting from Moses, something Moses had said. And sometimes people, that's how people take that, the kind of approach people take to the word of God, but it is in the Bible. But the Bible, they've not. Listen to the response Jesus gave them at that time. Jesus said to them, because of the hardness of your heart, that is why Moses gave you that. But from the beginning, it was not so. Hallelujah. If they had studied in context, they would really know the heart of God concerning the matter. And not just what was done because of their hardness of heart. I told you several times that the, the scriptures are inspired by the Spirit of God. That they are inspired does not mean everything you read is true. It means everything you read is accurate. There's a difference between accuracy and truth. Accurate means that it is reliable. It is trustworthy in the sense that you can bet your life on it that Job actually said this, or the devil actually said that, or God actually said this. So in the recording of the text, it is accurate that Job actually said, God gives and he takes away, may his name be praised. But as to whether that truth, that, that statement is true or not, is a different thing. It is accurate, recorded accurately. But as to whether it was true, it is true or not, is a different matter. Truth comes from revelation based on the nature of God. Hallelujah. So that, that approach of anything I find in the Bible is what God wants from me. So you read, for example, people develop theology from, the, from Solomon. Solomon was just, you know, given life experiences. People develop spiritual oh, truth. Hallelujah. You see it? It is because, so he says, do not err, my beloved. Then he says, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights. With whom, listen to this very carefully, with whom there is a neither shadow of turning. 
it comes from the Father of Light. Who is the Father of Light? God. And he says, with whom there is variableness. What is variableness? comes from the Greek word paralage. Paralage means fickleness. God is not fickle. When we say somebody is fickle, it means that you are frequently changing, especially as, re- as it regards your loyalty, your interest. James is saying that is not how God The Father of Light, he is not fickle. Hallelujah. He's not changing his loyalty. Today, he's, tomorrow, he stands for that. He's not changing his interest. He's not changing his affection. Today, he says this, then doesn't mean it. Tomorrow, he says that, then contradictions here and there. Need a shadow of turning. God is good. He has always been good. He did not become good in the New Testament. God did not become gracious in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, God was a vengeful God, full of wrath ready to smash you down in the New Testament. He turned a new leaf. Jesus placated his heart and then God changed. No, funny enough, that is the mindset a lot of people have. Why? Because they've not properly. God has been always good, always gracious, always loving, always light, always life. Hallelujah. That is who he is. And that is what he manifested in the person of Jesus. So the Bible says in John chapter number one, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. And the Word was God. Hallelujah. Says the, our theology is Christology. That is, we see God in Christ. Hallelujah. Because the Word, which is God, or who is God, became flesh. Amen and amen. So whatever we don't see in Christ, it is not God. If it is God, we see in Christ. Hallelujah. Our God is Jesus. He is the manifestation of God the Father. Hallelujah. If it is not in Christ, it is not in God. If it is in Christ, it is in God. If Christ won't do it, God won't do it. If God won't do it, Christ did not do it. Hallelujah. This is fundamental. It must be in your thing. Amen. Our theology is actually Christology. Amen and amen. That's why we say knowing Jesus. To know him is to know God. Now, your experience of God is not based on rumors. Look at Job. Now, 42. After, and God had spoken to him. Listen to what Job. Then Job answered the Lord. I know that thou canst do everything. And that no thought can be withholding from thee. Who is he that hideth counsel without knowledge? Therefore have I uttered that I understood things too wonderful for me. I knew not. Here I beseech thee, I will speak. I will demand of thee and declare unto me. He says, I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now mine eyes see thee. Wherefore, I abhor myself and repent. Everything Job said from Job chapter number one all the way up to Job chapter number 42. Job is telling us it was based on the hearing of the ear. Rumors. Rumors. His knowledge of God was rumors. Why did Job say God gives and God takes away? He had heard it from somebody. It was not something new of God. Hallelujah. Job, a fearful man, always making sacrifices for his children because peradventure they have, they have done wrong. If only he knew the sacrifices and bulls and goods, God had no pleasure in them, as the book of Hebrews says. And that God himself, righteousness is not based on your morality, but a free gift of God based on your beauty. Look at the man Abraham. The Bible says that Abraham was declared to be righteous by God. Not because of what he had done, but because he believed. If Job had known that, he wouldn't have been doing what he was. And sadly, it's because they know not the scripture. And as this year we began, we said, pursuing the 
that we may have a deeper walk with him so that he would be our treasured possession above all. Listen, it is no joke. This is the kind of approach we need to take to the word of God so that, you know, we are, we are settled in our heart concepts that inform amen and amen. There are certain questions we will no longer be asking. There are certain responses we will no longer be given. Amen and amen. And we would know God in truth, not based on rumors, hearsays, or so. Amen and amen. But we would actually know him from the... You know, I love something Jesus said. Every time they came, they asked the question, they told us, what do the scriptures... You see, the scriptures are at the heart of our knowledge of God. What is written is at the heart of us. And not just what is written, but how we are reading. One time they asked Jesus a question. Jesus' response is, what does the scripture say and how do you read it? So not only enough to know what the scripture is, but how are you reading it? Amen and amen. That you saw something in the Bible does not necessarily mean it is for you as a believer. doesn't necessarily mean it's true like I was explaining to you. You must study holistically, contextually, hallelujah, with the understanding that the Spirit has given, listen to my word, has given already, presented to us in the epistles. Hallelujah. He is light in him is no darkness. There is no evil from God. Hallelujah. He is altogether good. Every good and perfect gift cometh from above, from the Father of light, in whom there is no sickleness. God does not hold up between. He changes his mind from generation to generation. This generation, this is how I'll deal with them. This generation, this is how I'll... No, 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 no. God does not kill that way. Hallelujah. Like we say of Jesus, he is also the same today and forever. Yesterday, today, and forever. Hallelujah. Amen and amen. So moving forward, brethren, why, why, why did I Galivantulus purpose? Why did I touch it all? Well, what is the purpose of that? I'm trying to set us up in a renewed resolve in our pursuit of the knowledge of in the scripture as we, we've reached the middle part of the, the rest of the, the Sunday's lesson where we have an encounter. We are going to continue in our deliberate, intentional study of the word of God. And I want you to have that mindset when you are coming for encounter, let that be your mindset. Hallelujah. So that you prepare your mind to receive that way. Amen and amen. That's why you notice, uh, Pastor Sam, I, I always keep telling you, we don't, we don't do those, you know, September to remember and uh, I am aspiring to acquire, to require, to retire, to refire. You know, when I was a young preacher, I loved those things, those rhymes. You always find something that will rhyme. <laughs> Hallelujah. But as you grow, you quickly give those things up because they are empty. What did I say? They are empty. Hallelujah. We want the knowledge of Hallelujah. That is what our faith is really built on. So that you not be you not be tossed to and fro. You'll be properly established. We take the scriptures, we explain it. So when you go to school and your, your professor comes, what does he do? The first day of class. Which part of your textbook do you start from? You start from the beginning. He explains to you. Going through all the chapters till the end. He explains. He doesn't just pick and choose, you know. Today, I feel like, you know, let's talk about this. Then you just pick a few things here and then, and then what people are saying. Would you want to be in that class or you walk away from that class? You definitely walk away. Hallelujah. Amen and amen. So I want you to back up, prepare the journey that we are back on for the rest of the year. Amen and amen. Painstakingly going through the scriptures, explaining what the scriptures mean. Hallelujah. And that is the approach you own personally, doing the word of God. Amen and amen. You know, sometimes when you do this in the church, Somebody said, uh, one time, I my, you know, and she says, listen, Pastor Sam, you know, all these things, like, that's not what people are looking for. 
you know, people are tired from their jobs, for breakthrough, for this, you know, so give them nice, you know, encouraging messages. That's what people want. All these, you know, they, they call it doctrine, doctrine. Don't get members. <laughs> you see, any message that begins with what people want is not a gospel. As in a lot of times, what would they do? They will heap up preachers who tell them what they want. If you are sitting there imagining what do people want to hear, and you craft a message based on that to go and give to them, that's not a gospel. And that is not, you can grossly based on you understand what I'm talking about? Spiritual growth can result from... Let's look at Paul. Look at Paul quickly. Let's wrap up here and then we Look at Paul in, in the book of... And this is our example. Acts chapter number 20. Paul, having spent about three years in Ephesus, when he was about to leave, this is what he said to them. He said to them, For I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. For the space of three years, Paul did not shun all the counsel of God. So there's nothing like, you know what... As of faith generation, our focus is so that's all we teach. There's nothing like in the in the and I'm, as I'm teaching you this way, I'm training you to also become teachers. There's nothing like me that area. My area is faith. Somebody's area is fasting. Somebody's area, I'm a grace preacher or I'm a faith preacher or I'm a righteous. No, we teach the whole counsel of God. Hallelujah! By explaining the scriptures meticulously from Genesis to Revelation. Everything included. If you notice, when we had the eschatology conference, you see how painstakingly we went through the scriptures and studied. That is what we are talking about. Then listen to what Paul says. He says, Take it therefore unto yourselves, to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost had made you overseers to feed the church of God, which had purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, sparing all the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. How did they draw disciples after them? By speaking niceties to them, things they want to hear. You are an eagle. You are rising. You are soaring. You are moving to a, to a new dimension. It's a new season. Hallelujah. January was a new season. February, you are moving to a new dimension. March, you are an eagle. April, you are David. By the time September comes around, September to remember, you have become Daniel. What kind of life is it? <laughs> Hallelujah. You cannot grow that way as a believer. You will simply become an expert in ignorance. Amen and amen. And funny enough, you know, men who have not been trained do that. And sometimes the things they say are very appealing for crowd. Our goal is not crowd. If it were so, you will not be hearing me teaching the things right. That's not our goal. Our resolve is to train you properly in the word of God so that you can truly become men of the spirit as you are and demonstrate Christ everywhere you go. Hallelujah. It is therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years, I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. Night and day, Paul was saying. And now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. The message I've been teaching you, the word of his grace, I commend you, which is able to build you up. Listen, brethren, you don't know God by prayer and by vision. Take that out of it. When somebody comes to you and tells you, I had a vision of God and God was you know God by the truth of the scriptures. Hallelujah. You don't know God if you don't know by prayer. You know God. Prayer has its place. You know God by the revelation of his truth in it. So Paul says, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up. What builds you up in the faith? The word of his grace. Amen. What builds you up in the faith? The word of his grace. 
give you an inheritance among them that are, that are sanctified. Hallelujah. Amen. So, as, we, as I said in the letter, you know, the vision of the heart of his heart is still to bring many sons into glory through the preaching. We must therefore be stronger in our resolve in this full labor, in knowing him and making it. In knowing him, we can't make him until we know. Hallelujah. The reason people don't talk about Christ, they don't talk about what God has done in Christ, is because they don't know. That's why they jump onto all these things. You know, you must acquire to retire, to refire, to whatever, whatever it is. That's why they do all that. Because they don't know Christ. So they can't make him known. They don't know what God has done in Christ. Hallelujah. And then they jump onto things like, you know, you can do it. You can make it. Hallelujah. Believe in yourself. <laughs> Listen, never present those things as the gospel. You understand what I'm talking about? Never present those things as the, as the gospel. You are simply developing spiritual atheists if you teach them those things. Never present those things as the gospel. And the believer cannot grow on those. Those things are not spiritual food for the believer. They can't grow that way. Who is the bread of life? Your food is Christ. Hallelujah. These things, unbelievers can say that. You can make it. Believe in yourself. You reach a new height, a new level. All these things, unbelievers can. I'm telling you, they can even say it better. But to preach the word of his grace, they cannot. To preach Christ, they cannot. Hallelujah. That is the food for spiritual. Amen and amen. So he said, the word of the Lord still remains. The only hope of the nations. It is the truth by which we know him intimately and our light by which we In this year, therefore, our resolve is to continue in the pursuit of the deeper faith. It is our year of being aware of who and who we are in him, holding him as our treasured possession above all, that in all things Christ our Lord will be honored and glorified in and through us both in word and deed. Our confession, therefore, is like Paul's for me to live. It's Christ to die is gain. This is our watch, our motivation unto fruitful. Amen and amen. It goes on. That is our goal. So I'm just setting us up for the next half of the year. You're going to, when we come for encounter, you're going to have more of this. You're going to have meticulous teaching of the Word of God. Pay yourself that way to listen and re-listen. Go back and listen to them. And that's how you grow in your proper understanding. You know God well. It will not be hearsay and rumors. Pick that from there. You pick that from there. You pick this from here. And then you mash it all together. Some smoothie you drink every day. No. But you know God properly from the text. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. Somebody hearing me? Amen. 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 Don't worry. These things you have to be on them. The Bible says that they will endure. The Bible says they will not endure sound doctrine. Don't worry. You have to endure it. When you go to medical school, when you're doing a PhD, or you're doing all these engineering and all those things, sometimes some of the things that the professors are teaching are so hard. But you endure them. Hallelujah. You are sitting in the class. You are some, some people drop off because it's too difficult. But those who come out afterwards, those are the people that others will go to as expect in the field. And that's what Christ wants for you when it comes to his word. Amen and amen. Properly trained as a believer. Hallelujah. Properly trained. We give God praise. We give God glory. We thank God for tonight. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Father, tonight we fail us come to we receive grace even tonight in Jesus to be meticulous in our to have patient endurance in the word of God as we speak. We thank you that you have given us understanding, revelational truth, 
Our prayer is simple, Lord. Open our eyes. Let us behold wonder. As we have resolved in our hearts, we know far with us as you show us in the script. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. 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 amen.